Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline and I'm Kristen. Today we are talking about lady aviators, and we got onto this topic because there is a new expedition underway, or there will be this summer, to find Amelia Earhart's remains. She went down in her plane with her trusty navigator in 1937 when they were on the way from Papua New Guinea to Howland Island. And they're, they've started this new expedition because there is a newly enhanced photo from just months after the crash that shows, or what they think could show, part of the wreckage of her Lockheed Electra plane. Now, some researchers also refer to this photo as um, the Amelia Earhart version of the Loch Ness monster because right. you can see digital enhancements of um, what looks to be something bobbing out of the water, and it's still pretty hard to tell. It's blurry. What it is? It is blurry, exactly. Um, but like you said, Caroline, she went down in 1937 while she was attempting to fly around the world at the equator, which had never been done before. Um, and this is not the first search, of course, for Earhart and Noonan and the plane. Um, after the pair vanished, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, sent nine Navy ships and 66 aircraft to search for her. Um, and it cost more than $4 million, which was a hefty price tag yeah. at the time. And there is, have since been, I think, a couple other expeditions to to search around the South Pacific looking for her. Right. And this group that's spearheading the expedition in July has actually searched for her before and has searched this area before. It's the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery. And they will be looking off the South Pacific island of Niku Maroro. I have probably Niku Maroro. It's one of those. Niku Maroro. Niku Maroro. But Susan Butler, who wrote East to Dawn, The Life of Amelia Earhart, does not think that Rick Gillespie, who's heading up uh, that expedition by the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, is going to find anything. Right. Yeah. She says that she thinks the plane is sitting on the uh, ocean floor farther away that she thinks they're just looking in the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but nevertheless, it is, it's kind of exciting that this expedition is happening. I, I hope that they will find something. And if anything, any chance to talk about Amelia Earhart is fun because she's such an iconic, uh, you know, a, a, such an iconic figure mm-hmm. in American history. Uh, Hillary Clinton recently came out to publicly encourage this, this search for her remains. Yeah, she says that she embodies the spirit of an America coming of age and increasingly confident, ready to lead in a dangerous world. Talking about, you know, back when Amelia Earhart was basically one article compared her to Oprah of her day mm-hmm. uh, in her popularity. And she says that now we, too, could use some of Amelia's spirit. But even though Amelia Earhart is probably best known for her tragic death, she achieved a number of firsts in aviation history in the U.S. Uh, so just to give you an idea of where she falls in in the history of plane flight, on December 17, 1903, the Wright brothers take their famous inaugural flight in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, although they were inspired by their sister, Catherine Wright, who encouraged them to get off their bicycles 
and build themselves a plane. Um, and then in 1910, Bessica Raish becomes the first American female to take a solo flight at the ripe young age of 16. Hmm. She must have been uh, a brave gal. Yeah. And then in May 1927, we have Charles Lindbergh completing his solo transatlantic flight with the help from his wife, Anne, who mapped his routes alongside him. Um, and then in 1918, Amelia Earhart is working as a nurse's aide in Toronto when she attends a flying exhibition. And she becomes enamored with the idea of becoming a pilot. But it's not until two years later, in 1920, that she took her first flight as a passenger in California. And she said, as soon as I left the ground, I knew I myself had to fly. And then in 1928, eight years later, it takes a while for this for her to get off the ground. <laughs> get uh, that? Yeah. Uh, in 1928, she became the first woman to cross the Atlantic by airplane but she was not allowed to pilot. Right. She called herself a sack of potatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but speaking of that, that Oprah comparison, she began a writing and speaking career, which included an aviation column for Cosmopolitan magazine. Interesting. Well, I wonder if Cosmo fact. was more interesting back then. Probably. I would, I would wager to guess, yeah. If Amelia Earhart was a columnist. Exactly. Their covers probably looked much different than they do today. And then May 21st, 1932, now we finally get things kicking for her. Amelia Earhart, five years to the day after Charles Lindbergh's famous transatlantic flight, she takes off from Harbor Grace, Newfoundland, and lands safely in a farmer's field in Derry, Ireland, making her the first woman and the second pilot to fly solo across the Atlantic. That sounds terrifying. It does. I mean, but probably exciting if you're Amelia Earhart. <laughs> yeah, she was in a single, a red single engine plane. A single engine plane over the ocean. Wow. Well, she told, um, in between that flight and her attempted trip around the world, she told reporters that she felt like she only had one more big stunt flight in her. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, she was right. It was, yeah, it's pretty ominous to think about that quote. It is. But before that, uh, Amelia Earhart actually served as the president of the 99s, which is an international organization of licensed women pilots from 35 countries. It was started in November 1929 in Long Island, New York, and all 117 American female pilots were invited to assemble in support of aviation. Yeah, there was um, a letter from one of the 99 leaders named Opal Kuntz in 1929, and w- which was the year of their, their founding. And she writes, In this organization of ours, it is hoped that we can encourage girls to enter flying schools with a determination not to accept any special consideration because of her sex. She must make up her mind to learn to do her work, to accept no quarter from men, and thereby learn to be useful. These 99s were serious about planes. They were Uh, serious, Caroline. (laughs) They were very serious. More women who were serious about planes were the wasps. And this is coming from the National Wasp World War II Museum. And they were explaining that after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, the U.S. military had a shortage of manpower, including men available to be trained as pilots. So they started recruiting women. So they started recruiting white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. (laughs) Exactly. I had to read that twice as well. Um, And they got their origins in uh, August 1943. 
when the Women's Auxiliary Ferrying Squadron, a group that ferried aircraft, aircraft, excuse me, throughout the U.S., merged with the Women's Flying Training Detachment to form WASP, Women Air Force Service Pilots. And the group ended up, uh, according to the Smithsonian, transporting about 12,650 military aircraft during the unit's two years of service. Unfortunately, uh, a June 1944 congressional bill for WASP militarization failed. And this was the first time during World War II that legislation supported by the Army Air Forces was voted down. So I wonder if that had to do with the gender of the WASPs. I have a feeling it probably did. But we can't talk about the WASPs and not talk about Jacqueline Cochran, who is... Quite a wasp. She was more of a hornet than a wasp. <laughs> she's she's think. a tough cookie. She set more aviation records than any of her contemporaries, male or female. And she was one of the people who was tapped to help form the wasps. And she also was, in 1953, the first woman to break the sound barrier, exceeding Mach 1 in an F-86 saber jet. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nothing. I mean, just just breaking the sound barrier. Mm-hmm. It's it's no thing. But good news for the wasp, because you mentioned that um, in during World War II that the militarization was voted down. Mm-hmm. But in March 2010, surviving wasps were honored with the Congressional Medal of Honor. Excellent. So that's a, you know a, a little late, but still some nice recognition for those fighting women. Yeah, because in 1944 they were told that pretty soon they were going to be. Pilot material in excess of needs. In other words, can you get out of the way for the boys who are coming home? Mm-hmm. So they weren't always treated so well. But, you know, you mentioned Jackie Cochran and her accomplishments. There are some other amazing aviatrices. Aviatrixes. Female aviators. <laughs> Lady pilots. Um, and one of those is Florence Poncho Barnes, who was born in 1901 and died in 1975. This woman is fascinating. If you look at pictures of her, I, do a Google image search right now. What's she, her name again for people? Florence Poncho Barnes. Her nickname was Poncho. She's great. And she went by Poncho. She, she looks jolly. I'll put it that way. She looks like she's having a good time doing whatever she's doing. And before she got into flying, she actually roamed Mexico disguised as a man. Maybe hence the poncho? I guess, but that sounds kind of fun. She ended up breaking Amelia Earhart's world speed record and performed in barnstorming shows, air races, and as a Hollywood stunt pilot. And sometimes this broad would buzz the church where her minister husband was holding Sunday morning service. You can't hold back Florence Poncho Barnes. You sure can't. She's an unpredictable gal. Um, there's also Harriet Quimby, who we must mention because uh, she was the first female licensed pilot in the U.S. in 1911. And she was also the first woman to fly solo across the English Channel. But like Amelia Earhart, she also came to a tragic end, falling to her death in 1912 during an aviation meet while flying 1,500 feet above the ground. Yeah, that's that's gruesome. Yes. Um, speaking of being thrown to one's death... Bessie Coleman also met an unfortunate end, but during her life, she was quite the inspiration. Um, she was rejected by U.S. flight schools because she was black, so she decided to train in France, where in 1921, she became the first African-American woman to win the international pilot's license. And she wanted to open a flight school, but in 1926, was killed while she was rehearsing for an air show. But on a much less morbid segue, um, (laughs) 
Willa Brown um, was also a groundbreaking African-American female pilot and a founding member of the National Airmen Association, which lobbied for the inclusion of black pilots in the U.S. Army Air Corps. And she eventually went on to become a flight instructor, training more than 200 students who would become the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, which was an all-black aerial combat unit that flew with distinction in World War II. Yeah. Which I thought was so cool. I'd never heard of uh, Willa Brown before. I had not either. And we have to mention these two fantastic sisters who you should also do a Google image search for because they're always laughing. Everybody, all these female pilots look like they're having such a good time. Because they're free in the skies. It's true. It's very true. And they're wearing pants. Yeah. Which people didn't like. And people actually accused Amelia Earhart of being Charles uh, Lindbergh in drag. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> she wore pants. They They didn't like that. Well, but, they also they also thought that women were inherently too scatterbrained to to be able to fly planes. Yeah, it's amazing we can even walk down the street. I know. But uh, okay, so Catherine and Marjorie, um, they were they were sisters from Texas, and in 1912, Catherine was the fourth woman in the U.S. to earn a pilot's license, and in 1914, Marjorie was the ninth. Catherine performed stunts, was the first woman to perform a loop de loop. That's the technical term. And was also the first female pilot commissioned to fly U.S. mail. Her sister Marjorie, who was also a performer and carried mail through the sky, became a flight instructor at their family's aviation school where she trained the Royal Canadian Flying Corps. Wow. Go Stinson sisters. Um, and we also need to mention uh, Mary Riddle, who became the first Native American woman to earn a pilot's license. Um, and she also earned her commercial license soon after. Now, we are mentioning all of these famous women in aviation because I feel like beyond Amelia Earhart, women's history in aviation is is pretty shrouded. I mean, I, I, I didn't know a lot of these names. I don't know about you, Caroline. No. I feel good that I know about Poncho now. <laughs> Old Poncho. Um, and, and it's only to establish the fact that women were very capable flyers uh, because even today, the number of women who are piloting airplanes is still so small compared to men. Yeah, this is according to FAA data from December 31st, 2010, that said that out of a total of 627,588 pilots in the U.S., just 6.73% were women. And you have about that same same percentage, around 6% of women make up all flight instructors, commercial pilots, and those with a private airplane certificate. Now, a majority of pilots in the U.S. are ply- flying private planes as opposed to, you know, the captains on your national carrier, such as Delta or Southwest or United. Right. Um, but, but across the board, women make up um, a very pretty small minority. And mentioning the national carriers, women are just 5% out of the 53,000 members of the Airline Pilots Association, ALPA, and only about 450 women worldwide are airline captains. So in 2011, CNN um, covered this issue asking why aren't there more female pilots? I mean, obviously, we're just as capable to fly planes, especially um, with the way that the cockpit technology has developed. Um, women are equally capable. It's not some some difference in male female skill sets holding us back. Um, but CNN, in talking to some people, found that there might be some other barriers, such as the time and money that it takes to get your pilot's license. 
Right, and they talk about how a typical route that pilots take is through the military. A lot of people will learn to fly in the military and then go on to uh, a major air carrier, which is what my dad did. My dad started out in the Navy and then became a pilot for Delta. But women are not as prevalent in the military, as some of you may know, (laughs) and so not as many are taking that same route, which ends up being cheaper. It it defrays the costs. Obtaining your pilot's license is... Not cheap by any stretch of the imagination, Caroline. Um, it can cost up to $100,000 in training to become an airline pilot, which is why that military route is so common. But women make up less than 5% of the more than 14,000 pilots currently in the Air Force, according to the Air Force Personnel Center. Um, and then if you start your air, airline career with a regional carrier, the starting salary for pilots is not very much to defray that, that heavy cost for um, you know the civilian route of becoming a pilot because a regional carrier starts you out at about twenty thousand dollars a year so not exactly that highfalutin lifestyle that we think of when we think of pilots right but that doesn't mean that it's impossible to get there it's it's a time and a mobility issue um, that's even more challenging for women with with families they interviewed one uh, senior pilot who had you know climbed the ranks and and made her way into the better paying seats but it required her at one point um taking her her child with her on nine legs like for an entire day's worth of uh, of flights yeah this was angela masson a retired american airlines captain who said that flying has to be something that you really really want because even gender issues aside it's a very challenging and demanding career and she does like we like we mentioned before she mentions that it's a male dominated job that requires a lot of expensive and continuous training and takes them away from home for large chunks of time and i agree that these are definitely issues to being an airline pilot but i feel like these are issues that my dad dealt with as well Mm -hmm. being a guy well, and I think there, it seems like there is definitely recognition within the industry that, you know, it, w- it would be great to even out that ratio. Mm-hmm. Chris Dancy, a spokesperson for the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, um, referred to this issue in C- at, when he was talking to CNN as a nut that everyone would like to crack, but they just can't figure out how to do it. Whereas when we talk about, you know, airline flight attendants, usually, you know, it's the, m- the more typical female job on a plane. Right. And part of that is awareness. Mm -hmm. Are little girls aware that they can grow up to be airline pilots or private plane pilots or NASA pilots um, instead of being a flight attendant? Mm -hmm. Are they aware that this other option is open to them? And that idea of little girls knowing that that's an option that could be open to them is um, is important to bring up because it takes a while to um, to to acquire this skill of flying a plane. Not surprisingly, right. I mean it's a plane. There's a lot of math and <laughs> dials, right? And that's why Emily Warner, who was the first female pi- pilot of a scheduled air carrier, which was a Frontier at the time, she advised that as soon as you turn six. You ask your parents to give you five flying lessons, and then after you complete those lessons, you'll either love flying or you hate it. But right there, I mean, first of all, your parents have to be able to afford flying lessons, yeah. uh, and the idea needs to be even like seated in your mind. You're 16, uh, so it still seems like there are a lot of barriers to what is what, what's a, a pretty pretty limited industry, right? 
Uh, and Warner talks about her own experiences getting in the cockpit. And she says that when she first got hired, the majority of pilots and flight attendants were cautious around her. She said that both pilots and flight attendants ended up taking about a year to warm up to the idea of a woman in the cockpit. But she says that after that initial period, I was just one of the guys. And so it became less about her gender and more about her ability. You know, like, okay, you're captain. That position demands respect. You can yeah. fly the plane. Do your job. And once women are, are doing that job, they are statistically just as capable as male pilots. Um, there was a study from Johns Hopkins University Bloomberg School of Public Health from May 2001, which found that um, male pilots flying in private aircraft in the U.S. are actually a little bit more likely to crash due to inattention or flawed decision-making, while female pilots are more likely to crash from mishandling the aircraft. Um, so, so there are, it seems like there's a gender differences in the, in the pitfalls of piloting a plane, but, you know, women are not necessarily more, a lot more likely than men to, to crash and burn. Yes. And to, to again, there's, there's a lot of morbid facts. There are a lot of podcast. morbid facts. But, you know, going with what you're saying, back in 1992, the Presidential Commission on the Assignment of Women in the Armed Services determined that sensory, perceptual, and psychomotor performance for men and women is similar. So they might have different reasons for not landing safely, um, but they, their their abilities are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like it's it then boils down to that that aspect of access and whether or not it is a viable career option for women. So on the one hand, while the airline industry has certainly suffered during the economic recession and a lot of pilots have been furloughed, kind of limiting access for, for more job opportunities for women who do want to become pilots. The good news is that flying has become safer and, um, you, you know, the, the gender barriers to allowing women in the cockpit have disappeared for the most part over the years. It seems like, um, there, there might still be some surprise if you see, walk on and see a pilot, but I don't think that many people would run screaming off the flight <laughs> because they were scared that a female pilot would somehow, you know, not get them from point A to point B. Well, that's funny that you say that. I, and I'm sorry that I can't remember whether it's Angela Masson or, or Emily Warner who said this, but one of these very impressive women said that one man actually did come up to her. In the cockpit, you know, she's standing there as people are getting on the plane. And one man said that he just wasn't going to fly with a female captain. He just didn't feel comfortable enough. Well, he at least framed it um, in terms of his psychiatrist had told them that if he was ever uncomfortable flying to just t- state what the problem was and get off the plane if he needed to. So he was just following his psychiatrist's orders, albeit, you know, kind of, you know, sort of sort of sexist motivations. Right. So uh, there is an issue of attitudes mm-hmm. needing to change because it's certainly not anything physical or gender-wise that needs to change. Right. Well, and you could also make the same argument for um, being more accepting toward male flight attendants. Right. You know? Exactly. My mom works with a lot of male flight attendants Mm -hmm. because I am a Delta Airlines family. (laughs) You clearly are. So keep an eye out this summer for news about the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recoveries Amelia Earhart Expedition. 
Be very. I mean, we, we do have the Olympics to look forward to, and also an Amelia Earhart expedition might shape up to be a pretty awesome summer. And also keep an eye out next uh, flight you take to see who's in the cockpit. Yeah, and I want to hear from anybody who's taken flight lessons. Yeah, any female pilots out there listening to our podcast while you fly the plane? I hope you're not doing that. <laughs> that doesn't sound safe. Um, but, Maybe on the layover. But anyone who has stories to share, please email us. Momstuff at discovery.com is the place you can write us. And in the meantime, we've got a couple emails here. This here email is from Stephanie talking about the richest women in the world. She said, I wanted to express my dismay slash shock that in your rundown of some of the world's wealthiest women, you didn't mention J.K. Rowling. Never mind Oprah or any queens, I really thought she might have a shot at being the richest woman in the world. I've always considered Rowling a cut above many of the other women because she didn't inherit any of her fortune, and it has always come predominantly from her own personal output. What do you think? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> we did mention a couple women who were self-made billionaires. Mm-hmm. But we were talking more in terms of like the top, what was the top 10? Right. Um it was it was the richest women in the world and one of the reasons why JK Rowling did not rank higher on that Forbes list and actually uh Forbes recently put out their their most recent list and she took an even a further dip because she donates so much money to charity. Yeah. I forget the the exact figure, um, but it is an enormous sum of money. So we have to tip our hat to uh, Ms. Rowling. Exactly. For that. Um, and I have an email here on our long ago podcast on Home Ec. And this is coming from Jamie, who is a freelance writer who um, recently ended up um, being able to pursue her writing full-time while her fiancé works. So by by virtue of that, she is in charge of the housekeeping and the cooking. So she writes, Throughout my university and professional life, I had spent so much time in my work that I never had to worry about things like cooking. My hero that saved me from my newfound domestic cluelessness was not the person most people would think. It was my dad. When I was growing up, we lived on Air Force bases, and a lot of our time was spent outside our home, and most of the time we ate at the officer's club. And then in high school, we were, again, so busy with three kids in school that eating out was our best option if we wanted to spend any time together at all. Now that I was at home so much, I was totally clueless as to how to create anything that didn't include cereal or frozen fare. Enter my dad, who graciously drove the hour and a half every weekend for two months to come and teach me the basics of cooking and the intricacies of nutrition, as well as the art of grocery shopping. And it is an art, grocery shopping. Anyway, this was an incredible experience to participate in and learn more about my dad and for a very successful and highly decorated Air Force officer to teach me the intricacies of maintaining a home while also balancing a successful and sometimes hectic career. He explained that he and my mother cherished their chores and cooking time when they were younger because, for the most part, it was the only time they really got to spend time together. Cooking, cleaning, laundry, and grocery shopping together allowed them to talk about what was going on in the world and to learn more about each other, thus growing in their relationship. These days, my mom is finishing up her grad school while my dad, who is retired, happily spends his time at home cooking, cleaning, and maintaining a very extensive vegetable garden. So thank you, Jamie, for that touching story. I wish, you know, I, I, I would like someone to come and give me an intensive crash course. Yeah, that'd be nice. I could stop heating up ravioli. 
cook something for once. Well, if you have anything to send our way, again, our email address is momstuffatdiscovery.com. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And you can read up on what we're doing during the week at our website, howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?